Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we began our structured study with um, a look at and an explanation of jhana meditation. Um, and then we uh, looked at the foundation for jhana meditation and all of Dhamma practice, the four foundations of mindfulness. And that led to uh, an excellent class by Jen on the Four Noble Truths. And now we're looking at the Eightfold Path through three classes. So uh, last, what's today, Saturday? Last Tuesday's class was on right view and right intention. Um, <clears throat> and so the whole point of the Dhamma is to go from a wrong view or a view that has a fabricated view of self in relation to the world because of ignorance of four noble truths and through the Eightfold Path develop a profound right view, which is um, a state of refined mindfulness that is always seeing um, or, or that resolves, resolves itself and the self being a reference point to what's occurring and not taking anything personally. And this is the way we do it. So this, <clears throat> this class is on the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Um, I'm going to read, um, starting I think about a third of the way through, but I don't know what page it is if you're trying to follow me, but you know, it doesn't tell me. But. It is the preoccupation with stress that creates the distraction that continues wrong views. So I said last week that the Buddha could have almost as accurately stated the first noble truth as there is distraction, as there is stress, because it is the preoccupation with stress and all things stressful, the preoccupation with greed and aversion that is rooted in deluded thinking. And so it's the, the initial recognition that, yeah, this is where I'm, I am. I'm stuck in this wrong view, this, this, this view that is always distracting me out of the present moment and throwing my mind either back into the past or because of a past influencing my mind in this present moment, throwing my mind into the future. And so as human beings, we live our lives never in this present moment. Why? Because our minds aren't concentrated and we're always coloring this moment with a wrong view until we develop the Dhamma and then again, we're simply a reference point to what's occurring. It is ignorance of four noble truths that gives rise to the belief that our personality is the sum of the self. So that's how everybody, every human being sees themselves. Uh, excuse me. And this isn't right or wrong. It's not a human failing, although it, it resolves in most people as some level of self-loathing, that there's something wrong with me or I need to acquire some kind of special knowledge or special favors. Uh, in general, I'm just a broken self that always needs something to keep itself going, keep itself um, functioning in a world that is itself rooted in impermanence and ignorance. And because of that, again, we're never present for our life in this moment. We're always coloring this moment through a wrong view, through what we think we need in this moment or what we need to be um, avoiding or even not letting the world see of ourselves, something that we are averse in and we don't want anybody to see. And that thing that we're averse in 
the thing that we don't want anybody to see, including ourselves, is our humanity. And we lose it when we deny certain aspects of ourselves, the things that we think are less than favorable. Those are the things that we have to accept as, yes, this is me. This is mine. This is what I am. But understanding the cause of that, which is ignorance of four noble truths, and that resolves that inner conflict and nothing else will except understanding. So again, the Buddha taught to understand dukkha. He didn't teach the Dhamma to end dukkha. Right? That's an important point. We're not here to end dukkha. We're here to live our own humanity, which is characterized as dukkha. Having a human life is stressful. But if we can understand the nature of stress and stop contributing to our stress, right? The Salata Sutta, the second arrow, then our minds are resting in calm in this chaotic, ever-changing world. And that's the whole point of the Dhamma, to gain control of our minds and not take anything personally. <clears throat> having this limited and wrong view of self gives rise to greed, aversion, and deletion, the three marks of existence. Out of this mental-physical aggregation, an individual personality arises. It is this personality that makes choices and takes action based on attachment and perceived need. So if you understand what I just wrote and read there, we're acting out of a need for, to always satisfy an ego personality. And that ego is insatiable. That it is that ego that is rooted in the three defilements, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. It is the ego personality that is constantly distracted by the need to maintain itself, no matter what. Excuse me. And so that ego personality is formed by the world it lives in and is, is imprinted by the world that it lives in. So the outer world is quite different than it was 2,600 years ago during the Buddhist time, but the same issue remains, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. And so the Buddha taught in a Loka Sutra, if I remember that correctly, that when he, upon his awakening, he looked out on the world, and he said, the world is a flame, a flame with what? A flame with the fires of passion, the fires of eye-making. Look out at the world we're living in today. It's exactly the same, isn't it? Nothing has changed because nothing, and it's not supposed to change, by the way. We're not living in a plane of great so-called spiritual evolution. That's not what we're here for. But because many of us believe that, we lose sight of the fact of this is our humanity. It's full of dukkha, but it's also full of incredible beauty, incredible grandeur. Incredible marvelousness, if I can create a word. But because we're distracted by dukkha, we're distracted towards the 1% of humanity, we tend to think that that's all it is. And life becomes a struggle. Instead of resting in the calm 99%, which is what most of life is. But we, we lose it, we miss it. Or we create occasions that will allow it. Holidays, vacations. Right? but we miss our moment-by-moment -moment life. We miss being a reference point to this moment, to our humanity in this moment. We're meant to be human beings. We're not meant to be spiritual beings. We're not meant to be magical, mystical beings. We're not meant to be someone who, who, who overcomes all of the, the struggles of humanity. We're here to understand what it means to be a human being. And that makes this moment magnificent. 
Why? Because I'm present for it. Does anybody have any questions or challenges to what I just said? And it's okay to challenge me or question what I'm saying. Of course you can't. <laughs> the base need of the ego personality is continued to define and maintain the ego self in all of its beliefs, right? And all the ideologies and all the tribalism that that creates. Mindfulness of right speech, right action, and right livelihood, the three virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path, shows clearly where attachment to an ego personality has formed. Right? We can see if you really want to know what you're clinging to, take yourself. You know, put a put a recorder in your pocket for a day, and you'll find out. You'll all, right speech will always show us, show me, and it will define what I'm holding in mind. It'll always come out of my mouth, and most importantly, not what I'm saying to you and out in the world, the story that I'm telling myself. And it is that that story that is maintains that ego personality, the story of me, the great me. And that story is always based on a fabrication, isn't it? And therein lies all the stress in the world, trying to maintain that fabricated ego personality. And guess what? Once the ego personality is gone, the same person remains. The same person that lived within that, 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 that burden of an ego personality. And most of the qualities remain. But what's left is the wrong view of self. So we're not giving up anything that is of any value, but it feels like it because we're clinging to these aspects of ourselves, at least at first. The ego self or the ego personality is not just a conscious person, but consciousness, consciousness influenced by physical senses. This is why meditation alone cannot bring lasting peace and happiness. Much of modern Buddhism and modern spirituality is based on just go meditate. You know, I, I was involved in many of the major traditions that just said, go meditate, go meditate, go meditate, go meditate, go meditate, but nothing else. Or tying in rites and rituals with a meditation practice, such as bowing, such as chanting, such as visualization and meditation, but an unfocused meditation, an unfocused meditation. A meditation practice is not leading towards concentration, but leading towards some kind of experience during meditation. And of course, that leads to a constant grasping even within meditation. I did that for many years and I could never understand. I couldn't at the time understand why I wasn't getting anywhere, why I was just getting more frustrated, why the same difficulties I was having in life kept coming up over and over and over again, even though I was this wonderful modern Buddhist. Why? Because I wasn't practicing anything that could help me change the way I was thinking. In fact, the satisfaction that I could occasionally take in my practice simply because I was practicing colored or clouded my own view of my own ignorance. I was doing something that I thought was right to do. And it wasn't until I got completely frustrated with that, similar to what happened to Siddhartha, that if it, out of my own frustration, I was forced to look at the suttas and see, did, did this human being a human being awakened. I believe that Siddhartha Gautama awakened, but I also believe that if he did awaken, he would have taught something that a human being could understand, meaning me. And as I started looking at the suttas with that thought in mind, and I, under, I began to understand dependent origination and four noble truths, as Jen taught last week, I was really the best teaching I've ever heard. 
then I understood what it meant to be a human being. But even that was a process. But that's what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about being stuck in an ignorant view of self and having a, a, a plan or a path of practice that leads to the recognition and the abandonment of that ignorance. And that's what we're doing here. This is why meditators saying this again. This is why meditation alone cannot bring lasting peace and happiness. Without a framework grounded in right view, meditation can only reinforce hurtful or ignorant views. Due to the nature of conditioned mind, the entire framework of the Eightfold Path is necessary to develop concentration, compassion, and wisdom. The reason why I wrote that is I noticed even early on, excuse me. What did you say before compassion and wisdom? Not the look. Concentration. Concentration, right. Okay. Thank you for asking yeah. that too. Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Lost my Sorry. That's okay. Well, I'll just keep, I'll keep going. The Buddha oh, talk. No, you were saying why, why you wrote that. Oh, why did I write that? Why you wrote that when you first wrote it. You oh, noticed something. Um, people that, um, that mind come across the eightfold path take parts of it, such as, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I really believe in meditation and right speech sounds like a good thing to do. But without the understanding that I'm moving towards and I'm using the, the Dhamma to develop right view. And in order to do that, I need to first understand right intention that we talked about last week as well. And right intention then leads me to the virtuous factors. And the virtuous factors are what lead me to the concentration factors. So if we leave just one of those out because of some part of our conditioned mind doesn't want to go there. The, the entire Dhamma is lost. So it is, it is an entire package. We have to integrate the entire Eightfold Path in order for the path to work, including, and this is really what this is about, is right meditation. So many people that have practiced other types of meditation practice now come to the Eightfold Path, but they still are using their old meditation practice, even if it's a meditation practice that is just sitting. And that's why we're reinforcing using the guided meditations from the website, because the guidance included in that continually reinforces the four foundations of mindfulness. So again, please do that as your Dhamma practice. And even those of us that have been med meditating for a long time, 10 years, please go back to the, to the guided meditations once or twice a week, just to reinforce that four foundations of mindfulness. We're going to keep reinforcing that as we continue. Um, the Buddha taught a true and effective Dhamma practice must incorporate, must incorporate these three trainings. Which three? The training in heightened virtue, the training in heightened concentration, and the training in heightened wisdom. So the Eightfold Path is broken up in those, in those three characters, the characterizations, concentration, virtue, and wisdom. <laughs> wisdom being right view and right intention. The virtuous factors are right speech, right action, right livelihood, and then the concentration factors of right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation, which we'll get into uh, in the next class. Mm -hmm. And the, the inference of right also implies there's a wrong view. There's a wrong view that we can have. There's wrong intention that we can have. There's wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood. There's wrong effort. There's a type, there's a type of mindfulness that can be characterized as Wrong mindfulness. Mindfulness means to recollect or to hold in mind. 
So we can do that with anything. In fact, mindfulness is the new modern religion, isn't it? We should be mindful of everything, be mindful of this and mindful of that. Well, that's not Dhamma practice. In fact, that's a mindless type of mindfulness, isn't it? To be always grasping after whatever I'm being mindful of. That's just a distraction away from concentration. So the Buddha taught a refined type of mindfulness. And that refined mindfulness is mindfulness that holds in mind the Eightfold Path in this moment as my Dhamma practice. John, I have a question. Yes, please. The translation into virtuous from the original whatever it was, it, was it always virtuous? Virtuous seems like we're, we're applying a judgment, which means you're wanting to be something a certain way. <clears throat> Defining it as virtuous seems to be opposite of what right view would be. Like right view is just a realistic way to see what's happening, but virtuous seems to be a, putting it down a certain channel. Like yeah. more morality. So what, what would we call it? Yeah, that, I mean, the reason why I use virtue rather than, because it, it could be called more moral and ethical factors. That, that seems like it's the same. this is the guardrail yeah. you have to live, which seems to be opposite to what right view is implying. So what should we call it? I don't, and I don't mean that as a challenge. I almost, sometimes I've often wondered, did he just add these things in for lay people to, like, this is how you need to behave? Oh, I don't, I, no, no, no. That's but, how it's interpreted. Yeah, that, that's, that's how, how it's yeah, interpreted. But it's, it's yeah. not, it's, yeah, it's not, it's a good, really good point you're bringing up. We're not talking about moral behavior in relation to like the Ten Commandments that I need to be, I need to be morally right if I'm going to get some kind of reward. And it's such an important question. I'm so glad you asked it. When we are mindful of right speech, right action, right livelihood, we're being mindful of the manifestation of our ignorance. And so that's why when we see wrong speech, wrong action, or wrong livelihood manifesting in this moment in my life, that is a sign of what I'm doing wrong in relation to the Dhamma but not wrong in relation to some kind of arbitrary morality system or universal behavioral modification system, which is really how morality is often presented. It's even presented that we need religion because that will keep people in control by focusing on these things, which implies that human beings aren't naturally inclined towards right speech, right action, and right livelihood. But we are. I almost think that it's like, the goal is to understand the relationship to these actions that come out based on ignorance. That if there's an understanding that the, that the natural flow would be into a skillful set of words, actions, deeds, versus a yeah. realistic or virtuous. It just seems like that's. Get, I mean, the virtue as something that we're we're doing to, to the benefit of others. Yeah, but it really I feel like is. Virtue means doing the thing that you know you need to do to reach the goal you have or holding in mind. I was going to say, well, yeah. is that the definition, definition of virtue? virtue. Yeah. Are we just bringing to the word virtue what we've experienced right. as life virtue means? But what is the real definition of virtue? Mm -hmm. Is it like? 
just well, I think I, I think virtue to me, and the reason why I use that word, it, virtue just describes a um, the, the the behavior of a person that a person right. is is right. virtuous in this way mm-hmm. that yeah. we're not the person living in in the dhamma living within right speech right action right livelihood is virtuous in the sense that they're not causing harm to themselves or others and so i think virtue is is the is the best word for that that would be the the most practical way to to say yeah but it's important just just like david i've always railed against that word because i'm i'm you know just like you i'm from the 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 catholic point of view and, and virtue is just you know something holy and Yep. But you can also use virtuous to mean like true, yep. like something that stays, yeah, it's you know, even like in science or like, mm-hmm. you know, nature, you think of something as it always it consistent and like a virtue of, yeah, that's uh, what I'm you know, a specific yeah, I mean, as opposed to being virtuous. Yeah, you know, yeah, bring to yeah. Life, and remember, it's, we're just using a word to describe mm-hmm. the quality of a certain part of the Dhamma. Right. <laughs> It's not the word, it's within the context of how would the virtuous fall into defendant origination? Like well, it, it's, the, it's the the aspects of um, consciousness leading to contact, it is and then leading to the to the to the defilement, it is right speech, right action, right livelihood. That is the actual in um, but it's the lack of fabrication which has no judgment it's just well again we did but we need to use something to describe yeah, this you know again, it, it, the, it, it, i always know the cautious of getting into these words and that's not the purpose of the class that's why i'm trying to like yeah that, that's the point lay it that, over dependent origination how is that how does that reconcile to the original like what was the, well so the, the the virtue as it would apply to dependent origination is undoing mm-hmm. the ignorance you know from from ignorance of four noble truths mm-hmm as a requisite condition comes fabrication and that leads to the whole the other thing to remember is that this is also this is what simplifies dhamma practice <clears throat> it's, it's in my speech it's in my action <clears throat> this is where i i see my what i'm holding in mind it will always come out in my speech especially when i'm telling myself it will always come out in my actions and it, and it will always come out in my livelihood you know, I, I I struggled with that. Why did the Buddha include right livelihood after right speech and right action? Doesn't that cover it? Until I realized that otherwise good and honest men and women would cheat a little bit when it was time to put food on the table for, for you know, wife and, and baby. And if we're doing that, we're acting out of greed, aren't we? Instead of reality. Well, so again, that the, the virtue of right livelihood is important along with the other things it just points to the type of behavior that an awakened human being much like the meta the karaniya meta sutta that we close each class with that's not a wish and it's not a prayer it's an explanation and a description of an awakened human being so another description of an awakened human being is that they are virtuous in relation to right speech right action and right livelihood so again it's not a it's not a um, it, it's not sinful to, to live in long speech or long action or long livelihood. It's unskillful. You know, it doesn't relate to the Dhamma. The punishment for wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood 
is not in the future. It's right here, right now. And it's, it's in each and every thought that I hold is, is my punishment, if you will, for not living with right speech, right action, right livelihood. And of course, that tends to hurt other people too, doesn't it? You know, but that's, that's, the, that's the difficulty of, that's inherent in a human life. It's our humanity. So thank you, David. Let me, let me keep going. Right speech is a third factor of the Eightfold Path. By mindfully integrating right speech, it becomes clear how words are used to continue establishing the self that is prone to stress. So this is right, right speech. Abstaining from lying, speaking truthfully. And if we can't, we keep our mouth shut. Abstaining from divisive speech, including gossip. Speaking with compassion for all. Abstaining from abusive speech, speaking with kindness and tolerance. Abstaining from idle chatter. This is the big one. You know, idle chatter. We spend a lot of time. I mean, the, the, the big zillionaires of our time figured out how to exploit the need for idle chatter. Facebook, uh, Twitter, Insta, 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 the rest of the Insta. <laughs> Instagram. They, they capitalize on the need for idle chatter, isn't it? And it's amazing. You know, and if you want to know how much, how addicted we are to idle chatter, please read Johan Haru's book, Stolen Focus. And you may put your phone down a little bit more. Please do so. Speaking only what is necessary and helpful. So we make a point of this on our retreats. In fact, I begin our retreats by asking you all to be mindful of your right speech. And we do a pretty good job of that because I got big ears on retreats and I listen to whatever, what's going on. And we really do focus on that. And it makes a difference on retreat, doesn't it? Because you're living within a Dhamma. But now we're going to do that, not that we haven't been, but now the focus of our Dhamma practice now this week and ongoing is be mindful of your right speech. Wrong speech arises from clinging, craving, and aversion. Wrong speech is often used to promote or defend the ego personality. And what are we doing then? We're putting a lot of energy to defend something that is only giving us pain and suffering. And it's as the Buddha would say, it's like foam on the ocean. There's nothing there. Wrong speech can be very subtle at times. Gossip in particular is always hurtful and always arises from the desire to promote an ego personality. It is best to only speak of others when they are present. When I speak, when I teach young kids, excuse me, I always begin here. And I'll say something like this to the whoever I'm teaching, I says, do you, when you're with one friend of yours and you're talking about another friend that isn't there and you might be laughing about that friend, I said, do you notice how you feel? And they'll always, always say yes. And I said, do you feel good? And they'll always say no. And I say, just be mindful of that and try not to do that in the future. And invariably, it'll come back the next week, the, the kids that keep coming, and they'll, they'll say, yeah, I really noticed that. I feel better when I don't do it. We do that too. We're pretty good at gossip, aren't we? And little subtle forms of character assassination. It's not you, but some people do that. And it, it's never helpful. It make, might make us feel good in the moment. And, you know, I describe awakening as full human maturity. And fully mature human beings will always be engaging in right speech. Will they? They'll never gossip. They'll never engage in idle chatter. They'll be quiet. And I think you've all noticed that you've become quieter people, haven't you? Because your speech is quieting down. That's also a reflection of the inner dialogue that's also quieting down. Excuse me. 
And maybe that's what we should talk about when we go around the room in a few minutes, to be mindful of that, that inner dialogue getting quiet. Excuse me. Idle chatter is used as much for distraction as for social necessity. A great measure of time is, and of true friendships are friendships that are maintained without, without idle chatter. You know, how many times, I mean, do you have people in your life that you can just sit quietly with without having to go, without something going on? You know, those are true friends. As wisdom develops an understanding that spoken words will actually be helpful to someone or a situation will also show if they're necessary. Is what I'm saying going to be a value here? Am I going to be able to, to reach people with what I'm saying? And again, is it harmless? And if not, keep our mouths shut. And even if we're, we're in a group of people that are engaged in idle chatter, it doesn't mean that we have to become a part of that. We can sit quietly. And sometimes that might be uncomfortable, but that might be a sign that you don't want to be a part of that particular situation. It's okay to move away from that, to move away from idle chatter, to move away from all the noise that is maintained by social media and all this stuff that's going around today. We can live quiet lives. We can live calm and peaceful lives. That's a sign of a mature human being, isn't it? A person that's not always grasping for something, not always grasping after distraction, a quiet mind. It's reflected in our speech, isn't it? Words that have no meaning, meaningful impact are, are part of idle chatter and can often prove divisive. Right speech also pertains to what we are saying to ourselves. This is most important, really, and should be considered with the same guidelines. Are the words we are saying to ourselves truthful, helpful, kind, and compassionate? This is really important. And, and we can only really do that with jhana practice when we can quiet our minds and not do concentration. Are our thoughts a type of unnecessary idle chatter? Am I always going on in a fantasy about myself, good or bad? <laughs> Yep. We all do, right? And why do we do it? Because our minds are rooted in greed and aversion. That's what makes that monkey mind go. It, it always is going. It is, it's always looking to establish itself. When there's no need to establish ourselves. We're here. We're having a human life. That's all the justification and the explanation that this self needs. I am what I am. Thanks, Popeye. And that's as far as we need to go, especially if we're living within the framework and the moral framework, if you will, the virtuous framework of right speech, right action, right livelihood. Because I know when I'm living within that framework, I am, I am, it's impossible for me to harm myself or others. And that's true liberation. A mind that knows it can do no harm because it knows it is in control of itself. That's liberation. That's living as a reference point to what's occurring. Once gross wrong speech is identified and mindfully abandoned, recognition of speech that may have seemed helpful and altruistic may now be seen to be manipulated, manipulative and designed to, and designed to elicit a particular response. We all do it. And it's not helpful, is it? It's a way of taking a, a type of dominance over someone, manipulating people through our speech, saying things that we think somebody wants to hear just so they won't be upset with me. It's never helpful. And it's always hurtful. If we, and that saying, if you don't have something good to say about someone or yourself, keep your mouth shut or keep your thoughts shut. 
Be gentle with yourself, especially with your thoughts. And if you find out that there's little pernicious thoughts that you might not be good enough for this moment, recognize it as such, take a breath and abandon it because you are good enough for this moment. How do I know that? Because you're here. That's all the justification we ever need for having a human life. A clear understanding of the state of one's well-being and understanding can be discerned by observing one's speech towards themselves and others. Right action and right livelihood follow the same moral and ethical guidelines as right speech. And I'm just going to go through these quickly. Right action is abstaining from taking life, remaining harmless to all beings. There's a caveat to that. There's thousands and thousands, perhaps millions of people that could not live if they didn't take a life, meaning harvest animals to live. Mostly people in, in colder climates, but they have to. And so to make a blanket statement that we should never kill an animal says, okay, we want human beings to die and to die horrible deaths. And I'm just saying, saying this to make the point that we can't say, we can't make blanket statements about everything because everything is a situation, right? For, our, for myself, I can't kill animals, but I do eat animals. So I'm very careful about where I buy those animals from. I try my best to make sure they were treated well. But that's the world I live in, and it's the human being that I am. I once, my father was a hunter, and all his friends were hunters. And so when I was, you know, getting into my teen years, I wanted to go, you know, go with my dad and Uncle Mikey and go deer hunting. So they taught me how to, how to first they were going to get, teach me how to use a bow, and they taught me how to shoot a bow. And I lived, there was woods around my property. And one day my father said, there's a deer out there. Go get it, go get it, go get it. And I got outside, and the big hunter with this bow. And I start looking at this deer, and I just broke into tears. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't know way I could do it. And so I found out I'm no hunter. But that doesn't mean that I can't allow other people to hunt. And I would never, ever take a shotgun or a gun out of the way somebody who's trying to feed themselves or their family. It's just wrong. So I'm, I'm going on a little bit about these, these things that we, we apply to ourselves, but we don't apply them to other people. Right? We live within the framework of the Eightfold Path because it liberates us. But I don't care if you do. That's none of my business, right? And that's the only point that I'm making. This is how we live our lives. This is how we live our lives as sovereign, whole, mature human beings. A mature human being doesn't care what other human beings are doing, right? They live their lives as a reference to what's occurring. Right action is abstaining from taking what is not freely given, taking only what is offered. Abstaining from sexual misconduct, that's important, but not abstaining from sex. The Buddha never taught that sex was bad. That, that's ridiculous. But he taught the same <clears throat> virtuous factors should be brought into our sexual relationships as well. Abstaining from sexual misconduct, acting with generosity and kindness within our romantic or sexual relationships. And that changes everything, doesn't it? When we're looking to be generous, to be giving and not taking, to be kind. And for most of us, that takes a little bit of right thinking, doesn't it? Because we're not inclined that way. Abstaining from selfish acts, acting, acting for the good of all. And what is the most important thing I can do for acting to act for the good of all? Does anybody have an answer to that? What's the most loving thing I can do for myself and all other human beings? Take <laughs> to the dominant awakening. <laughs> and it sounds pretty simple, and it is. The key to happiness is simple, and it should be, shouldn't it? 
It shouldn't be difficult to be a happy, fulfilled human being. And it only is when our minds get complicated by conditioned thinking and ignorance. Right livelihood, just to finish this, right, right livelihood is, is abstaining from dishonesty, profiting from virtuous acts, abstaining from hurtful endeavors, contributing to the common good, abstaining from the sale of intoxicants, unless you're a bartender trying to put food on the table. Really, again, we should, it, it would be wrong for me to, to, to sell intoxicants for you, to you, but it's not wrong for somebody engaged in that business. That's the world we live in. So I can, I can live by that rule without having to throw bricks through liquor store windows. It's important for me to live this way. But it's not important for me to make sure you are. Because now I've just lost my mind. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to care about you. I want to take care of me. And that's what the Dhamma is all about. That's what gentleness is all about. Abstaining from the sale of intoxicants, abstaining from the sale of weapons or harmful items with that same caveat that in some places people are glad that there's a gun store down the street so they can eat that night. Right livelihood is remaining harmless when earning a living while contributing to the common good. It requires great wisdom coupled with compassion to know when to speak and take action, when to practice restraint. Compassion without wisdom can often be hurtful. It is often less than skillful to speak or act solely to make others feel better about themselves or to further validate others' wrong views. And I'm going to stop there. The rest of it just gets a little repetitive. So that's today's teaching. Um, so let's go around and, you, you know, you can say anything you like, but I'd like you to talk about if you how holding in mind these virtuous factors has brought your own ignorance to awareness and what, how that how that went for you. Um, let's start with Brian. I always like to put Brian on it on the top first. How are you, Brian? I'm good. I love being on the spot. Um, yeah. uh, just on the, the the conversation around the virtuous factors, or you can almost substitute virtuous for skillful. Yeah. Right. And just you know the the things that are coming out of my mouth, if they're not based in right view or the things that I'm telling myself in my head, if they're not based in right view, they're just unskillful. Yeah. And that, that unskillfulness then does not contribute to the furthering of the Dhamma. Yeah. Um, and so being, being mindful of all of those skillful items, whether they're actions, um, words, thought, has brought my mind to a quieter place. Um, and now I can see the I can see the ego arising out of consciousness and falling back into consciousness. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, I didn't have that realization that those two things were connected. I thought they were distinct objects in and of themselves. And they're just not, they're just, they arise and they pass away in the field of consciousness. Yeah. Um, just like all the thoughts and all the, all the other stuff as well. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. And, and the the entire our entire existence, my entire existence is occurring in my mind. That's right. Yeah. All I mean, the, it, the interpretation of the senses, all of that is just being cognized in the mind. Yeah. You know, even that rock on the far side of Pluto is occurring in my mind. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, it may or may not be there. There's probably rocks on Pluto, I guess. But it, it, I, I, I'm not there with it. But the same is true about me in relation to you. 
And I should respect that. You know, meaning I'm coming into your life, right? As a sovereign being. And the Dhamma tells me that I don't want to have any negative or hurtful, I don't really like the word, hurtful impact on your life. Why would I want to? Right? And that informs great gentleness, doesn't it? And again, that, that's, how the, that's how the Dhamma works. Thank you for bringing out that important point, Brian. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, John. Hold on. Oh, there you are. Um, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, you know, I think it's um, fairly simple, but um, not easy, right? We, we often say that. But the whole idea of um, do no harm to others in a skillful way and for skillful reasons, um, but the fact that it starts with yourself and causing no harm to yourself. Um, I think that's just a good, that's a good takeaway for me today. And um, because I think it would only be natural if you weren't doing any harm to yourself with thoughts or anything else, um, you're probably not likely to do any harm to anyone else. So the whole idea of your mask first before assisting others. Um, but very nice suit of today, John. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Good morning, Anthony. Oh, good morning. Um, I, uh, I was, what came to mind during this talk and it was the idle chatter part of it. And then realizing I was thinking about like, why do we engage in idle chatter? And I think what came to mind are two reasons. One is that we want to reinforce our ego to say I or we are better than him or her or them. Uh, the other one, and in actuality, like you pointed out, we don't feel better. We feel worse. So it doesn't work. And the other yeah. one is to reduce anxiety because I think sometimes we feel, feel the need to fill airspace with talk. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we want to look good. We want to have something to say. But actually, the opposite of that would be true because if you can own the silence and feel good about it, that's what reduces the anxiety. That's right. Yeah, so, the rest of it is just a story that's churning in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And the anxiety is created by, you know, realizing that we don't feel good about talking about someone else. So, I mean, yeah. that's, so it's, it's kind of funny that what we're trying to accomplish, we actually accomplish more by doing the opposite. Yeah. We often end up blaming the person further for making us feel worse. And it just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> Anthony, yeah. I want to ask, how are you feeling physically? Oh, I'm good. Um, I think actually the pain I have now is from trying to work too hard to get back to, my, oh, to get well, shape. So it's, it's muscle fatigue from working out. But no, I'm 100%. Thank oh, good. You. I'm glad to hear that. Good for you. So please say hello to Deborah for me. I will. Thank you. Okay. I'll see you, Adam. Hi, Adam. Ron, do you have to go soon? I'll be going in a few minutes. Let's, uh, let's hear from Ron before he has to go. Um, Here's Ron. What worked for me in, 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 in daily life um, is, and, and <clears throat> when I'm working, is the part where it says, don't take anything that's not freely given. Mm -hmm. um, as a... As a as a, a guideline as to 
how to conduct yourself in the in the world. Um, yeah. It's been very helpful for me, taking away a lot of conflict. Yeah. Maximize profit. Do this for for the business or for yourself, and uh, all of that leads to conflict in one way or the other. But if you if you address it just as don't take anything that's not freely given, uh, it leads to a, a natural kind of generosity. Yeah. That uh, and that works very well. That uh, it, it stops a lot of conflict that you have with uh, with people that you deal with. Oh yeah. In the, in the business sense. Yes. Yeah. It, it really is remarkable in, the, in business negotiations. Mm-hmm. You don't try to to get as much as you can out of it. Right. You know, you always, I mean, the, the focus then is that, is that it's the, yeah. the, well, the transaction is, is truly a balanced transaction, mm-hmm. meaning the person is getting just whatever I promised to give them. Right. Yeah. I'm glad to do that because I know what I'm getting out of it. And it's, and if they, if they're trying to get something that was not promised, then you can, with a, with a, with a clear mind say, well, no, that's not what, yeah. what was, you know, <clears throat> what we agreed to. Uh, that's, been, that's been very helpful. And then as you get into the subtle parts of it, and, you know, as you're mulling over situations, then it also becomes clear, okay, where, where is my greed coming in here? Yeah. And, and, and recognize that. Yeah. Thank you. And you're describing how when we end conflict in our minds, we end conflict in the world. Mm-hmm. We're not out there trying to get every penny we can get out of some situation or whatever it might be that we're taking, you know, another aspect of taking what is not freely given is taking, you know, there's even a word for it. We take people emotional hostages, you know, in our relationships. That's another aspect of taking what is not freely given by manipulating people in that way, you know, manipulating people's emotions. And you also take, start to recognize when that's being done to you. Yeah. And you, and you have a skillful way to, to, to deal with it. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Now you can go. John, could you tie that to who you kind of were when you said, excuse me, emotional hostage, but that could apply to the idle chatter too. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I might try to solicit, you know, um, try to get my mom's attention or something. You know, it's, she's just not, you know, in, she's busy or she's in a different space and, you know, I'm trying to force something that's not there and then it just ends up causing pain or you know yeah. emotional discord so and it's good that you recognize and that, that's yeah. all because you're you're trying to get your way right you know, i'm trying to get my way yeah it's i'm making yeah know? and it's always painful isn't it yeah, yeah. and it's good to recognize it uh adam how are you this morning what's up john <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I got a question. Um, Please. So ego, is it self-fabricating? Because in chapter four, you said, um, like, when you do good things for other people and you're, like, praising yourself, that ain't the right thing to do? Yeah, it's okay to recognize that you're the most... No, I know recognize it, but isn't isn't um, isn't ego self-fabricating, basically? Uh, basically, because ego is self-personality, right? That, well, yeah, that's right. So... It, they, they, you bring up something important that the same action could look the same, you know, but what are you, what is it doing for you? In other words, you can be generous and just be generous. 
or you can be generous in a manipulative way. And that, that second right. part doesn't work very well. Right, right, right. I understand that. But um, so what's the definition of ego? Like saying like, oh, I'm a good person and this and that. Isn't that fabricating? It, it could be. You know, it's up, it's, up, it's up to you to be that good person rather than think that you're a good person. Right. All you right. Yeah. A fabricated ego personality may be, may be so stuck in the view that it's a good person that that's all that it wants the world to see. And that, that creates an ongoing tension, doesn't it? To right. maintain this view, even though you might be a good person, if you think you have to be a good person, there's tension there. So the okay. person looks the same from the outside, but inside you're full of conflict because right. you can't be, you never can be good enough for yourself. Right. All Rather right. than allow yourself to be a human being. And as you integrate these three simple factors of being a human being, you know, you're good to go. So what did, what, what did, what did you think of this particular chapter, Adams? I think it, it I liked it. What really hit me was the, um, the idle, ch uh, the idle chatter. Wow. Good. Yeah. And you see that you do that to yourself. Yeah. I talk to myself once in a while, but all <laughs> yeah. genius talk to themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, and it's, and it's great that you recognize it. It's not, you're not doing anything wrong or bad because you are, but you just want to recognize it and let it go. That's all. Right. right. And you see that. So that, that's, that's great that you're able to see that. Well, I got one more question. So, um, I mean, I know lying ain't good, right? So, but at the same time, if you're in a situation, um, I know it's kind of like fabricating, but like, just to keep it like cordial, would you kind of like stretch the truth a little bit? Well, if I was, if I felt myself having to do that, I, that's telling me that that's a relationship or a situation that I don't want to be in. Right, right, right. You know, if, right. if it's, and if a situation is such that the other person is, their behavior is such that I feel like I have to lie to maintain some kind of peace there. I don't want to be in that relationship. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. again, and it doesn't mean that the other person is somehow bad or wrong. It just means that that's somebody I don't want to be in a relationship with. Right. And I leave, that, I leave them in peace. Right. All right. Yeah. That, what a great question. And, you know, I think, it, it pertains to you where you are right out where you are right now, Adam. So good right, for right, you. Right. All right. Appreciate it, John. Yeah. Let's talk later on today or tomorrow, please. All right. Good. How are you, Jeff? I'm well, thanks. Um, thank you very much. Great, great class as usual. Um, I, I'll just, uh, I think I'm actually going to try your recorder in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I think, surprised. I think that might actually be useful. I'm going to try that, and I'll uh, let you know next week. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> but when you play it back, don't judge yourself harshly. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I am what I am. Yeah, that's it. Popeye was right. We're going to change this whole thing to the Popeye song. <laughs> Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, John. Thanks uh, for this chapter. Oh, hold on one second, Kevin. I'm sorry. Do you, sure. Would you like to say something before you run out? I'm glad you joined us. Please say hi to Judy. Hi. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Um, it's a great chapter, and thank you all for this great discussion. 
Um, I'll just read what I wrote. Um, the virtuous actors. Pardon me. You did your homework. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not bragging now. But <laughs> the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path are the center of the path. They inform and are informed by the wisdom factors. They are a bridge from there to the factors of concentration. They are the part of the path we walk in our everyday lives, keeping us centered and mindful. That's beautiful. And it's it's perfect. It's right on. Thank you, Kevin. Sums it up. Yeah, it really does. Thank you. Okay. Jennifer, can I do anybody mind being on camera? Everybody brush their hair this morning? <laughs> I think I got you. Yeah, that's you. There's Jennifer. Good morning, Jennifer. Thank you so much for today's teaching. True. And the discussion, there's so much in it that I'm going to have to listen to this again and again. Yeah. I can't even pick <laughs> what part of it. It just really hit me. So much of it hit me. Um, everything from Rom and his business because I clean homes for a living and I'm in people's worlds oh, yeah, every yeah. day and, and Bridget knows because I'm always talking about you know learning how to do that balance with customers and giving them what they ask for and you know so I could really appreciate what Ron was talking about um, but I think the most is still self-talk you know because my self-talk is, has been not good for you know pretty much my whole life and not even being aware of it you know so that's still like oh yeah like wow so i'm learning to take that self-talk and i'm not crazy well don't ask her that (laughs) but (laughs) but i almost i'm starting to treat it like it it's a not so much another person, but another voice, you know, like, that's not me, that's not who I am. Yes, 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 and, this is not me, and, this is not mine. Because I used to take all of those voices as me, you know, mm. all those thoughts, as all those voices, that does sound bad, all those thoughts as me, yeah. and I'm learning to not question everybody else, I'm learning to question myself when something's going wrong, rather yes. than well, what did that person do that I don't like? Or what did that person mean? Or trying to figure all this out. I'm like, okay, I'm bringing it back to me and trying to do it without judgment. And, you know, I don't know. I'm still, I'm just still so wowed by the process. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, And it should be. Yeah. And then I can let it go. I can be like, you know what? That's just crazy making yeah you know that doesn't have to be you yeah and i can you know it's almost like that little conscience on your little voice you know i can say to it like (laughs) (laughs) go away yeah you you can ask yourself is there anything personal here and there's in every situation the answer is always no yeah and and that is it without being able to articulate that that is it yeah yeah Especially when just making it personal again and crazy making it. Yeah. And nothing is, nothing is. No. You know, the more the more familiar and personal our relationships actually are, the harder it is to see that. Yeah. You know, the closer we are with people, but even even customers, it can get, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can get into something either antagonistic or 
you don't take it personal and it's not. And oftentimes it's not. It never is. I'm thinking it is. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Not, you yeah. know, and because um, there's a whole lot of conversation about what we agreed to and what we didn't agree to. And then I get angry and I take it personal. You yeah. Know, and so it's helped even with that, you know, and I'm dealing with one current customer a day, not a whole, you know, but still it's helping me with that. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, it should. The, the Dhamma is entirely practical. That's what it should be. It's meant to be, you know, it's meant to be applied to human beings and their human life. Yeah, that's right, Yeah, it is. That's right. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're here, Jennifer. Bridget. Keep it in the family. Yeah, kind of similarly, kind of to what my mom was saying, and also John, like you're saying about how it might be maybe at first simpler if you're not as personal relationships. So I'm noticing I'm in a lot of situations where like I've been home with COVID. I went back to school and I haven't really been in the workplace for a while. And I know that I when I was in the workplace before I worked in a very small office, all ladies all very friendly and very gossipy yeah. and very catty and every day was like survivor and it was extremely <laughs> stressful <laughs> um people started their hair started falling out they had you know digestion problems i mean we oh, were stressed out and a, yeah. and a lot of it came from the top but we were all participating you know you, yeah. you have to participate for it to stress you out that's right so i never wanted to be in that kind of situation again and now i get i have more agency to choose because I, you know, I have skills and yeah. started a career. So I'm, I'm at my new job. I interned there, but that was like very isolated. And now I'm in the role. It was my first week, like in the office with everybody. Okay. And as a new person, normally, like I would try to make a friend or, you know, get into these like social strategies to align myself, like, you know, and, and have all the stuff I would think I would do <coughs> that would somehow manipulate the outcome yep. of promotion or whatever. And instead, <coughs> I have gone in and I and I have to make a decision about whether I like the job. And there's other jobs on the table. And, you know, those things I do have to consider. Oh, yeah. And that can be stressful enough if I'm not skillful and I don't keep myself calm. But I decided just not to deal too much with, I was exposed to a big round of gossip, but rather than get involved in it, I just thanked the person for their effort to, because they, they thought they were letting me know how things go. And I said, I appreciate your candor. And I left it at that. Good. And I didn't get into a big thing. Um, and I heard other people like gossiping, you know, the desk across from mine. And it kind of felt like they were ta- over talking something. They thought maybe I might want to join in, you know, and I just didn't. And it yeah. felt so good. Yeah. Now, I am not like so <laughs> skillful that I can do that all the time. Uh, there's some things I feel myself get drawn into, but I kind of feel it almost like right away. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're getting into the habit. That person brought up something gossipy and you're responding like you normally would. And that seems so normal all day. There's gossip everywhere you yeah. go. And I'm just like, I might get started 
And then I get that feeling. If I find myself like looking over my shoulder to see if somebody's coming, that I'm telling myself, okay, you're not doing the right thing here. Yeah. Like you need to stop this conversation, find a skillful way to like extract yourself. Yeah. And then like in my head, <laughs> the self-dialogue during this week, it was kind of similar to last week where last week I was just like, okay, you're crazy. You're nuts. You're nuts all, you know, you've lost your mind. And every moment you're just losing your mind. Yeah. This week, I felt like something stressful would happen. I almost always, like, especially like at home with my family, I would like immediately react the way that I have forever out of habit. I would get excited. I would lose my concentration. And it would be like a knee-jerk reaction of like losing my patience or uh, somebody says something snarky and next thing you know, I'm like triggered. But I could like literally feel myself reaching for the second arrow. Oh, and in my yeah. mind, I was just like, that person already said that thing to you. They've said it a thousand times before. They're probably going to say it a thousand more times. They're not even thinking. That's right. They have another part in their mind that's thinking about all the places they have to go, all the things they have to yep. do. And here I am just picking up the second arrow. And I don't just like stab myself with it once. I'll walk around <clears> all day oh, stabbing yeah. myself with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. So I actually, like, a couple of times was able in my mind to say, that conflict will only continue if you continue. That's it. it. Yep, yep, yep. And I just stopped it and then was like, okay. When I return to this interaction, I'm going to act like nothing happened because really nothing did. Yeah, that's right. You know, like, okay, yeah. they got impatient. They said something. I got impatient. I said something back. It doesn't actually matter at all. It doesn't. <laughs> and I was just like, and next thing you know, we're just like back. Everything's like fine. And I'm thinking maybe we'll get to the day where I can be skillful enough that we can maybe just like skip that whole middle part there. And maybe it'll even lead to skipping the other part. But if it doesn't, <clears throat> at least I don't have to go around stabbing myself with it. That's right. Day. You will have a calm and peaceful mind. Which sounds really wonderful. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. But it, you're, that's, that's, you're, you are you are interfacing with the Dhamma at that point to recognize it. That you're when you're caught up in something and you do your best to get out of it. And if you end up saying something you shouldn't say, you forgive yourself for that. You be gentle with yourself. And even if, if an apology is necessary, you make an apology. <clears throat> yeah. But the, the most important thing is to, is to start learning just as you're learning what triggers you and how to keep control of your mind. And that's, that's Dhamma practice. And it's just what you're doing. Good for you. Thank you. Laura. Where is Laura? Thank you for your teaching, John. And <clears throat> Bridget, that was great hearing that <laughs> honesty and what everyone else is saying. The idle chatter I realized in my life is it's, yeah, it's direct. I was thinking about what Anthony was saying, like, why do we do that? And it, it does, it comes from like even a huge insecurity with yourself. Yeah. And the idle chatter, the right speech is directly connected to, you know, right livelihood and right action. Yeah. And when you, through Jana, you know, through my sits, I'm realizing, you know, like when I can really sit down and do this kind of um, afterwards, I guess, or this internal excavation kind of, of just letting, letting things go. Um, 
yeah, it just becomes more natural, like the, the internal dialogue, it's not important, it just kind of stops or, yeah. you know, arises and passes away. It, it never really stops, but maybe for a moment, you know. But yeah, this whole process I'm realizing through this this course and for for a minute or for a week actually I, I got off track because I was in a panic mode with graduate school but then you know I talked to you John and kind of got back on track but yeah the that it really comes down to that internal dialogue and you've said it before if that you know that quiets then you're not going to be really doing harm yeah. to yourself or to others which is extremely important but yeah so i've just been trying to focus on quieting that and then you know through john i can just kind of feel the attachments to these ephemeral things just kind of okay let it go yeah it's just so much more peaceful that way you notice that you notice the, the developing calm and quiet only through only because my, you know, this, these past couple months, that these, the jhana, the increased jhana meditation, and it's hard when you have busy lives to really yeah. do it, you know, but because I've increased that meditation, <clears throat> the frequency that I've been doing it, it's, that's the only reason why, you know, if I didn't, if I don't practice it, then panic takes over and like irrational things take over. Mm -hmm. So I'm just realizing how important those daily sits are. Yeah. It really is a choice to be between what kind of human being are you going to be? Yeah. You know, everyone that's just stuck in the fabrication, <clears throat> you know, confused at times, frustrated at times, angry at times, you know, or calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. That's our choice at each moment. And, and that you're, you know, we talk about it and that you're noticing it. That's one of the reasons why we talk about this, so that so that we all talk about what we're seeing in our Dhamma practice because it reinforces it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks, Lori. Dhamma teacher Jen. Hi, everybody. Hey, Jen. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about how yeah, idle chatter is definitely a great guardrail to recognizing opportunities to I make in the moment. Yeah. Um, and also it helps to recognize I making in others. So then, you know, what's the most compassionate thing we can do in that moment is to just, is to, you know, stay calm and present with what's occurring yeah. and know mm -hmm. that the idle chatter will pass away, which even in the individual you might be talking to, they'll start to kind of come back and come back to being present in themselves, yeah. which is a compassionate act. Yeah. Um, that being said, like, I, I actually also have recently um, been recognizing in myself that I actually developed an aversion to idle chatter. Mm. Um, 
which is like a great example of what you've always talked about where you can have like these, you know, Anata is insidious. Right. And so there's, you know, t- opportunities for even within the Dhamma for Anata to like grab on to like yeah. a concept and then make it become a distraction. And so, you know, there's times where idle chatter is not something you can, you can get away from. Sometimes, you know, you're in a situation where yeah, you just have to be present with idle chatter yeah. and, and you can't hate it. Right. Right. Lost your mind exactly. Exactly. And so, um, and I've, there's been time like recently where I've had my students will, I mean, 14 and 15 year olds, it's like, whew, the idle <laughs> chatter is just like constant. And, <laughs> You know, if as long as I have some kind of an uh, activity, you know, something they're supposed to be doing, it's easy to kind of just redirect them to like, you know, get back to work or whatever. But recently there's been opportunities for them to have more space in the classroom just based on the what's been going on to where they, the idle chatter is, there's, you know, there's just more room for it. And like I definitely like lost my temper a little bit the the other day with with my students because I was like, you know, just averse, averse to idle chatter. You know, I was just like, you know, this is just gonna hurt you. Don't you see that? You know. <laughs> and, and, how many? How many did you get through to? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think I just upset them, you know. And so, and it's the same sometimes with you know my loved ones. You know, I have individuals who um you know i see the idle chatter and i'm just like don't you get it like this is just stressing you out and then meanwhile <laughs> i'm not seeing that it's stressing me out you know um but also the idle chatter the internal yeah, idle yeah. chatter that i have through my whole life been so intolerant of like even before i had the dhamma you know just yeah. certain thoughts certain judgments of myself and going you know why why are you saying that to yourself that's not helpful like that's just gonna hurt you more and then meanwhile there's this other voice that's just being just as harsh so um having that you know this practice really to come back to my breath recognizing that that voice is not me not mine not who i am recognizing that that voice is impermanent and allowing it to pass away in the in my mind is um you know the only thing that i have to do right now so and all the rest of it is just a fabrication Oh, uh, teacher David. Hello, John. Uh, these factors, I, I, I've always looked at these factors as uh, more of a mirror, more of what yeah. my karma is. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. It's how I filter my practice. You know, I start with this level of right view that's always changing in my practice of meditation 
and mindfulness, and it filters through this point of contact of my interaction with the world. Yeah. My thoughts, words, and deeds. Yeah, that's Dharma practice, and, I think. And I, you know, have Jen's point about not being judgmental about idle chatter. Not mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. What is craving? It's wanting things to be right. different than what they are. Right. You know, good or bad. It, it's it's how we filter everything. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the, the, these factors shouldn't have any judgment of virtue or or uh, morality. It's just how we're seeing things. So I shouldn't be outraged about something I'm interacting with, and I shouldn't want it to be anything more than what it is. Yeah. And what I really got out of this was where Bridget's at right now in her, how this will perpetuate her to want to have more concentration so she can be more mindful. Yeah. So that's where you start seeing the next time I yeah. will handle it. It's not that you're gonna handle any different. You just have a better understanding of that second arrow. That's right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really what this is. I'm not trying to um, get rid of this thing. I'm trying to understand it because Duke yeah. exists. So mm -hmm. therefore, you know, the, the, the world is a flame, but it's really, my mind is a flame and Nirvana is extinguishing this view of like, I need things to be different. So this linear, you know, hateful path, it's not, it's, it's, it's so not linear. And, and so many times today we've seen people explain it and you can just see it up, like, like or, orbiting each other. Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was a great explanation. You know, we, we, um, we have to live in the world though. And, mm -hmm. and so, there's an aspect of um, societal smoothness, I'll say. I don't make up those words. Where it, it, where we say things that aren't entirely um, pertinent or important, but it's just a matter of living in the world. So, for example, I, I moved to Doylestown and I get a lot of things delivered now because I can. And I always engage in the person who I don't just take my food and. You know, I, I ask, you know, I, I get people's names and I ask them a little bit about themselves and maybe just and not not for any manipulative way. I, I, just, I appreciated what another human being is doing and I want to acknowledge them. So I make sure I know their name. I look I even look at like if they tell you how many deliveries they've made in the past year or two or forever. And I'll, I'll usually comment on that. And, but that's just being a human being. You could say it's idle chatter. But it's it's just a way of interacting with human beings, and so we we can we do that all the time. Yeah. But it's when yeah. our idle chatter is used for to distract myself or the other person or both of us out mm -hmm. of this moment mm -hmm. that it becomes unskillful. Why? Because it's done just that. Yeah. It's distracted us from this moment. But I had a yeah. I, there was a guy that came and his name was actually Sufwat, but I don't see very well. I just I put an eye in there because that's what I'm familiar with, and I called him Sufiwat. And he laughed and laughed and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we did, he said, no, no, no. It's, it, it's thank you. And he said, Sufwa, Sufwa. We just had a great time. So, um, so um, continue to, to oh, turn the, yeah. oh, you didn't get to see my smiling face anymore. <laughs> um, 
So continue to, to use the, um, the recorded guided meditations for your practice, and, and we'll all continue to do that. Uh, continue to read uh, next week's chapter, chapter six, week six. Um, I, it, this really is remarkable how this sangha has developed, and uh, you, you all understand what I'm saying, and you're all practicing the Dhamma as it's intended, uh, whether it's newer people like Adam <clears throat> or those seasoned teachers. Um, and we're all practicing the same thing, by the way. We're all practicing the Eightfold Path. And that's where we meet, and that's why this Sangha of ours, this thing of ours, not the Mafia, this thing of ours works so well because we join ourselves through the, or we join through the Eightfold Path. Okay, so we'll finish with Meta as we always do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And this is the Buddha's description of an awakened human being. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud of demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublimer body. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision and being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace, everyone. Bye, John. Thank See you. you all. Bye. Talk to everybody. you later, Adam. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.